0: They were starting our sermon series and our, really our, our walk through the book of Exodus. If I say sermon series, that's going to be a long sermon series. Uh, but we're, we're walking through the book of Exodus and it's going to be a blessing. I, I know it will be. Um, uh, we're starting with verses 1 through 7 today. And uh, the Bible says here that there are, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, judah Issachar, Zuvelin, benjamin dan nathali gad asher all the descendants of jacob were 70 persons joseph was already in egypt then joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation but the people of israel were fruitful and increased greatly they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so so that the land was filled with them and that is the word of the lord Amen. So we're starting off today, and, and obviously, you know, uh, we, we're starting off with the beginning of chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 7. And when you actually back up and you look at the the, the title of the book, Exodus, uh, the Hebrew for that are, these are the names. That's what it means in Hebrew. Exodus means, these are the names. Well, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple to see where they got that name from, uh, the very first verse says, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Uh, so <clears throat> nothing, nothing real groundbreaking there, but I just wanted to give that a bit of information to you. Uh, so the book translates to these are the names. And what's important about Exodus is that it is interconnected with Genesis. In other words, Exodus starts where Genesis leaves off and they both have the same author. And that, that is that Divinely inspired by God, given these words were given to Moses, uh, but they do have, again, the same author. And uh, at the close of Genesis, uh, you see Jacob. uh, He is described as moving to Egypt with his 11 sons. And the reason why they're moving to Egypt is to uh, be with his 12th son, who was Joseph. And Joseph, we remember that he's already living there because he was sold as a slave by his brothers. You think you have family issues, huh? So um, we see that happening. And we also see that in all that, God was in control of that situation. And there was a reason why Joseph was sold into slavery. And, And God had ordained it so that he was sold into slavery to bring the Israelites to Egypt. And we see chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus describe how the family of Jacob has evolved into this great nation. And now their size uh, threatens Pharaoh and that prompts um, oppression. And that's something we'll talk about next week. This week it's all good. We see, we see them being fruitful and multiplying. Uh, so their oppression uh, creates conflict and it creates conflict with the divine promise that God has given uh, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on and so on to Joseph and the rest. Uh, and the divine promise is that they would be a great nation and that their descendants would be blessed by God. And not only that, but they would have many offspring and that they would have their own land. That was the divine promise that, given to them by God. And now with this oppression, it seems that that someone is coming against that promise. Well, as we know, no one comes against God because no one can stand against him. No one is greater than he. So we see in Exodus, we see God's faithfulness to this ancestral promise. And we see three major actions, uh, and they form the central core of this book, First of all, we see divine deliverance. We see divine deliverance of Israel uh, from their Egyptian oppressors. So God divinely, he delivers them. Secondly, we see divine revelation uh, to Israel on the mountain of God. He gives them the law. And then we also see in the book of Exodus, divine indwelling with Israel. Because he has them build the tabernacle and he dwells with them. So these are the three main themes that we're going to talk about as we're going through Exodus. And I'd say there's a lot that we will learn as we, as we journey through this book. So, But today uh, we want to begin looking at the divine deliverance of God. And we want to do this by observing and learning about his complete faithfulness to his people. That's something that we see Not only through this letter, but we also see that throughout the Bible. He is completely faithful, completely, even though we are not. And that is something that we must praise, give him praise for, because as I said in my prayer, we do not deserve uh, the, the, the salvation we have, but because of his faithfulness, it has been granted to us. So in the sermon summary today, this is what I this is what it's really about. And this is what I want to talk about. The sermon summary is this. The promises of God that are found in the Bible. That's very important. The promises of God that are found in the Bible are true and he is faithful in delivering them because he is eternal. Because he is holy and because he is gracious. I want to repeat that again. The promises of God that are found in the Bible are true. And he is faithful in delivering them because he is eternal, because he is holy and because he is gracious. Let's look at verse seven and we'll start there. Verse seven brings to brings the fact that important men come and go. Yet the Lord always remains. That's what we see when we look at verse 7. Uh, actually, verse 6, it says, then, then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. I, I, I love the way how Moses, how he, he describes that and gives it, catches us up, and then he says, But the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly. You see, when it comes to us being confident that God will deliver us, on what he has promised in his word, we can trust him because he is everlasting. He is without beginning. He is without end. He is I am. He has always existed. He always will. He doesn't need anything to help him exist. He exists on his own power. And notice what verse 7 says, that after Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, the people of Israel were still fruitful. They were still fruitful. And up to this point, we we must acknowledge that every important leader of Israel had died. We can go back before Joseph. We can go back, first of all, to Abraham. He lived and then he died. We go to his son, Isaac, lived, died. Jacob, lived, died. All the patriarchs that are mentioned. They lived and they died. And here scripture also tells us that Joseph died and yet the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong. I like what Douglas Stewart says in the New American Commentary. He points out this. The Hebrew here literally reads As for the Israelites, they grew and they were fruitful. They swarmed, they increased, they got powerful more and more, and the land was filled with them. You may ask, how can this be? Their important leaders were dead. How could they continue to increase? How can they continue to have favor? See, the answer to that is that, I mean, obviously, it's God. The nation's existence and success was not dependent on its leaders. On its leaders, because we see that because they all died, but rather it was dependent on God, who always is. See, men, governments, and powers, they come and they go. But the Lord remains forever. You see, the Bible says the following about God. It says your, king, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. It says the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. That's Psalm 147, 13. See, I think this is important for us to talk about today, to recognize that Israel, that, that the, the leaders of Israel had died, had lived and died, and yet the, the nation continued to be blessed. I think we need to hear that because like the Israelites, you and I, we are tempted to think that our ultimate security and our ultimate comforts are found within our families. Patriarchs of our families. We are sometimes uh, tempted to think that our security and our comforts are found in our spiritual leaders. And even sometimes we are tempted to think that our security and our comforts are found in our government officials. And I say we are tempted to think that because we should not think that way. You see, who we are, what we have, that is founded on God alone. Not, not, not in our, the, the, the patriarchs of our family. It's, tra- it's tragic whenever we lose a member of our family. And maybe you've lost someone so close to you, so influential to you. Maybe it was a father, a mother, maybe it was a grandfather, a grandmother. And, and you think, how is the family going to go on? How am I going to go on? Or well, you move on and you go on because the Lord enables you to do so. And if it's not families and it's spiritual leaders. A pastor, either either he goes to be with the Lord or he moves to a different church. And you think, how in the world is this church ever going to make it? I know we asked that question not too long ago, right? In 2008. We asked that question, how in the world is this church going to make it? And yet the, the church continues. And guess what? There will be one day where I will leave the church and you're going to ask the same question and the church will continue because the Lord continues. And how many times have you heard this? This is the most important. uh, This is the most this is the most important presidency in the world. Right. Every time it comes around, every every four years that it comes around, this is the most important presidential vote in the world. This is the most important election in, 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 since we've known it. In, the, in our time, this is the most important election. There's so much at stake right now. And everybody thinks if we don't get it right, then America's going to just fall apart. And yet, America remains. And it's not because of our presidents. It's not because of our government, but it's because of the Lord. And i like to add that America does not deserve to remain. where we have turned our backs on God, and yet he is faithful. And he helps us. You see, the truth is that in him, the Bible says that we live and we move and we have our being. It's all in him. We were made by him and for him. Through Him. Everything was. You see God He watches over everything with His providence. That is His governance. That's how, he is, that's how He governs His creation. And when we talk about providence that is God's continued exercise is the exerting of His energy whereby the Creator preserves all His creatures. And He is operative in all that comes to pass in the world, and he directs all things to their appointed end. So see, anytime you are tempted to think that your life has fallen apart because someone is no longer there, you must remember that if you are in Christ, your stability, your foundation, your, your, the essence of who you are, is always there. God never leaves you, nor does he forsake you. He is your everything. In him, you move, you live, and you have your being. Just like in Israel, we see that, in, you know, we see that in, with Israel here in the Bible, that is also true for us today. That has not changed. So that is the very first thing we see. But also, when we talk about God and his faithfulness, uh, we must understand that God not only is eternal, but he is also holy. And God will not fail in delivering on his promises because he is without error. He cannot sin, he will not sin. You see, the success of the people of Israel was a covenantal promise from God, and it was given. To Abraham. And by the way, I want to add a stipulation to that. I want to I want to include something here. That covenantal promise. Yes, God said, I will take care of you. But there was a stipulation that man that we would worship him only. Man failed to do that. And yet God continued in his promise. Look at Genesis 12 verses one through three. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. And listen to this. Again, he says in Genesis, uh, this is Genesis 46, 3. What I just read was Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And now listen to Genesis 46, 3. This is towards the end of Genesis. God said to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. So we see the promises of God. And then we see them being delivered here in verses 1 through 7. His promises are always fulfilled because he cannot fail. He will not fail. The Bible tells us that God could not fail in doing this and in keeping his promises because he swore that he wouldn't fail. Listen to this out of Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. You see, you and I, whenever we're trying to convince somebody, we we have to say, you know, we tend to say, I promise I will do this. And that is supposed to make somebody feel assured that, yeah, we're going to follow through on what we said. But we, we promise on something else God doesn't have anything else to promise on because he is completely holy. And he promised on himself that he will fulfill his part of the covenant. He will fulfill his promises to his people. God had promised Abraham to multiply his offspring in order that that they fill the earth And it's not just so that they can fill the earth, but he wanted them to fill the earth and be his image bearers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And God fulfills this through a process. And this process is dedicated, or rather it's directed by his providence. And his providence never fails. And the purpose of him doing this is solely for his honor and his glory. see, the reason why the Israelites were prosperous was obviously because God granted them to be prosperous. But going even deeper, the greatness of the nation of Israel was to invoke worship and fear. When I say fear, I mean reverence, was to invoke rever- fear and, and excuse me, to invoke worship and fear of God from all others who had inhabited the earth. There was a purpose for their blessing. But the main point here is that God did not fail in delivering his promise and he cannot fail in delivering his promise because he is without error. He is holy. So what does that mean for us? As we look at the promises of God to those who are his, to his elect, to those that he has saved, we must remember that those promises will come to pass because he is a holy God. He is wonderful and he never fails. And I do want to say that the promises, I, these promises are only true for those promises that are found in the Bible. Because there are some who say, well, God has promised me something and it hasn't come to pass. And they're, they're speaking of personal revelation. They're speaking unbiblically. They're speaking outside of the Bible. The only promises that come to pass are the ones that are found in God's word. That's what we have to hold on to. And that should be our ultimate hope. As we read God's word, it should be encouraging to us to know that what God has promised will come to pass because he cannot fail in doing so. And then the last thing here, as we look at verses one through seven, and this is to me, this is this is just tremendous. When we talk about God's faithfulness and his promises, we must understand that God's promises are delivered to us through the righteousness of Christ. Remember what I said, that we had a stipulation in the covenant agreement. We had to worship him only, and we failed to do that. And yet God remained faithful. Well, he remained faithful because somebody remained faithful to him, and it wasn't us. It wasn't you and I. You see, there is a huge problem and it wasn't it wasn't on God's part. Man could not commit himself to worship God only. We see it over and over and over again in the Bible from the Old Testament all the way through. There was only one who worshipped him the way that he should be worshipped. You see, this is still a problem today. The fact is, is that we have all given ourselves over to idols We have all gone astray. In fact, the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But yet God's promises remain. And how is that? How do they remain? Well, they remain for those who trust in Christ. They remain for those who trust in Christ for their faith and walk in repentance of their sins. You see, the reason why God's promises are available to us, it's not because we are good. It's not because we deserve them. It's because we receive them through the righteousness of Christ. That's why God is so good to us, because Christ has been so good. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, listen to that, Second Corinthians 521. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And there was a reason for that. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to say that again because this is extremely important to your faith and to your sanctification here. For our sake he made him to be Sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We owe everything to Christ. He paid the the full penalty of our sin. And it is through Christ that we are able to receive these wonderful promises of God. Because if we were on our own and we had to earn these promises, we would never get there. Because the only thing that you and I have truly earned is eternal damnation. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We must remember that the covenant agreement was that God would protect and would prosper his people if they worshiped him only. And I want to include us in that since we failed to do that, he sent his son in the likeness of man to pay the penalty for their sins and to wipe away the sins for those who trust him. Because Christ faithfully and graciously fulfilled his ministry as savior of the world, you and I, we who trust in Christ, we receive the promises of God. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. See, it is in Christ that we are justified. The Bible says we are justified. That means the penalty we owe to God has been paid. That's what the Bible says. and you look around, you're like, what well, what have I done? You have done nothing to deserve that but It is in Christ that you are justified. He paid the penalty that you couldn't pay. You ever went into a store and you walk in there and all of a sudden you realize that you're in the wrong store, you can't afford anything in that store? You walk right out you're like, I don't even want to break anything because I couldn't afford to pay for it. When we talk about sin, that's that's the way it is. We could not pay the penalty that was owed for our sin. Christ paid that for us, and through his death, he justified us. It is in Christ also, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We walk around sometimes defeated by life. We think that we've lost, we think that we have no more chances left. Yet the Bible gives us encouragement and says that we are more than conquerors. And believe me, that's not based on us. Sometimes we can barely even get up in the morning. Amen. Sometimes we can't even look forward to the next day because we're just so defeated in life. We're defeated by our sin, by our doubt, our lack of faith. So we know that we are not more than conquerors because we are strong warriors In fact, that that we, we understand that we are not warriors. We rather, we are very fragile, fragile vessels. But we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that all things work for good for those who love him. It's not, it's not us. It's not us that cause things to work for good. It's not us that cause these things to work out. But rather it is God who does it. It is in Christ that all things work for good. Who's good? God's good. And ultimately our good. The Bible says that we are or we will be glorified. That is another promise that he has given us. And no matter what happens on this earth, the Bible says we will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. But in the very end, those who trust in Christ will be glorified. We will receive not only a new body, but we will be brand new. He'll make all things new. And we will see him. We will walk with him. We will have eternal fellowship with him. Again, This is not something that you and I could do. We cannot glorify ourselves. We cannot change our body. Today, people are living longer than they've they've lived in a very long time other than the Old Testament. And they're doing this because they continually do things to take care of themselves. And yet, no one can glorify their body. No matter what we do to our bodies, outwardly we are wasting away. But for those who trust in Christ, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And why is he renewing us? He's renewing us to that to that day where he glorifies us so that we could be with him again. This is not something that we can do. This is a promise given to us by God. Because only he can do it. And that is only done in Christ. God says that he loves us dearly. We receive that in Christ as well. The Bible says that in Him we live, move, and we have our being. Yes, that is because we trust in Christ. When you look at everything, it's because Christ. So, yes, we have God, and He is faithful in delivering on His promises. Uh, his faithfulness endures forever. And it doesn't matter who is in your life today and out of your life tomorrow. Men and women they come and go but yet the Lord remains forever and we can trust the Lord because we can trust him that he will fulfill his promises because he does not lie he is without error and we can receive the promises of God and know that they're not because of our own goodness but rather they are delivered to us because of the righteousness of Christ so you and I as Christians it is true we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus we can walk around with hope we can walk around with encouragement we can be of good cheer we can be all these things because we trust in Christ and i hope that now as we start to look at exodus and we're looking at verses 1 through 7 today i hope that that it that just the fact that we've gone over that god is faithful and that God will not fail to commit his promises and that, that, God, that you receive God's promises through Christ. I hope that invokes worship on your part. Evokes worship on your part. I hope that your heart is just stirred to worship him and thank him for his goodness and his mercy that has been given to you. And I hope that it stirs you to live a life that is committed to him that in all things, whether you eat or you drink, that in all things you bring honor and glory to him. Let us pray.